minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Yaniv Ben Mashiach, a brand new one. It's entitled Eretz Yisrael from his CD. Entitled, give me a second, entitled Absorot Tovot. Absorot Tovot here at JM in the AM. Before that, you heard the uh, Maccabees with Home, a single that has uh, proven to be really, really popular over the last few weeks. Uh, That's for sure. The uh, North Shore Hebrew Academy... Our friends from Long Island with Shema Yisrael off the CD entitled Nashira. Yitzchak Halevi Band with Lachad Odi. You heard Dvekus with Rabos Bonos. Miami with Lachad Odi. Somebody uh, yesterday dug that song out from uh, their uh, music collection and uh, reminded me when I heard it, it reminded me just how amazing a song that is. That's Lachad Odi off the Mashiach CD in Regesh. Modaani opening things up, and we say good morning. It's Friday on this September the 19th, day 24 in the month of Elul, final Shabbos of 5774. The brand new year begins this coming Wednesday night. Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Nitzavim, and Vayelech, a double Parsha with candle lighting time at 639 on this Erev Shabbos, 639 official candle lighting time. In Jerusalem, candle lighting is at 6. So as we've begun to point out, anybody who wants to call somebody in Jerusalem, you'd have to do that before 11 a.m. Eastern Time. As we said, Thursday and Friday, our Rosh Hashanah will be off the air those two days. There'll be other programming here at WFMU. Of course, we'll be here Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday leading up to the holiday and leading up to the brand new year. 56 degrees outside with 72% humidity. Winds are north at 11 miles per hour. Sunny today with a high of 66. Then tonight, partly cloudy, low 59. Tomorrow, partly cloudy. High Shab is 75 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 86. Tel Aviv, Haifa at 84. A lot at 95. We're at 56 here in Jersey City. A little bit chilly. You feel that chill this morning when you walk outside. 
but a pretty good-looking day is expected. JM in the AM, well, yesterday we had a spectacular day on the Nahum Siegel Network. I hope you had a chance to tune in all through the day to our amazing programming. Uh, it kicked off with a fantastic performance, not only of JM in the AM at Cedar Market in Teaneck, New Jersey, but of Simcha Liner and the uh, Aaron Teitelbaum Orchestra. It was a uh, a wonderful live presentation. Simcha Liner was just, uh, he was spot on yesterday. I don't know how one can do that <laughs> in a supermarket environment at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, but he pulled it off, and I thank him. And this was after he and our uh, our musician, Shlemy Rosenberg, were both up uh, till I don't know, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning the night before at a wedding. So a big thank you to Simcha Liner and a big thank you to our friends at the Cedar Market in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. It was really a, a wonderful celebration, a great visit, and I hope everybody out there who wanted to come by and get some free gifts were able to do so. Our friends from Cedar Market were giving away uh, free honey, and our friends from Miracle Challah were giving away free taster challahs, those uh, those small challahs that uh, were such a big hit. So I hope everyone who came by had a chance to uh, to grab some and enjoy. Uh, if you're saving it for over Shabbos or uh, for Rosh Hashanah, in the case of the honey, enjoy it as well. 25 minutes before 7 o'clock, JM and the AM, Malcolm Holmline, an hour from now. We'll do our weekly update and examine the uh, events of this week in this amazing world of ours. Lots going on in this world of ours. Malcolm Holmline will help us get through it coming up. We'll take a look at the rally planned for Monday at the Met. We'll do that in the 7 o'clock hour. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15, as you would imagine, with the uh, Torah portions of the week, because there are two of them this week. We'll close out the week at 9 o'clock, but boy, it's far from over. Naomi Nachman's going to be on at 9. I'll give you the lineup that she's expecting uh, in the studio. And at 10 o'clock, our amazing live music, Erev Shabbos stream, which goes all the way until candle lighting, is simply superb. I don't know if there's a better way to prepare for Shabbos, and now especially as we get closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah, you're going to want to make sure to uh, prepare properly by listening to some great Erev Shabbos Jewish music with us on the stream at jmandtheam.org. 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. My thanks to those who are commenting on our app. It seems to be the um, the latest craze to comment on the app. And I really appreciate it. There's uh, there's so much going on in um, in the world of Jewish music, in the world of Jewish radio, the Nahum Siegel Network. And anytime you comment on the home screen of our app, we see it in front of us, and we're able to incorporate it into the show if we wish. So we encourage everybody who has the NSN app, and if you don't have it, please install it, the NSN app. Uh, make sure to uh, install it on your iPhone or Android, and then uh, you can use the comments section, that feature, to let us know what is happening, to let us know your feelings about our programming, including right now at JM in the AM. More coming up. This is a, a brand new one from Yussi Green at JM in the AM.
the Slichus experience with Shlomo Kalbach, who many try to duplicate. Some get very close, I must say. He is chanting Shmakolenu on this uh, recording at JM in the AM. Benny Friedman with Vahaviosim before that. Chaim Yisrael with Vahafilu. Rib Shlomo with Bimotzai off of the Slichus experience. And Yossi Green had Keladon, the brand new single here at JM in the AM. This night in the Ashkenazi community is tomorrow night. Sunday morning is the first day for us uh, on the uh, Slichus front. The great Rav Shlomo Kalbach. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Nitzavim and Vayelech, a double Parsha coming up, candle lighting at 6.39. Rosh Hashanah is Thursday and Friday. We'll do a weekly update today, then it's going to be a while before we get back to the weekly update. Oh, actually, we'll do one of Yom Kippur before a, a couple of weeks off in the uh, beginning of October for Yontif. Sunny today with a high of 66, partly cloudy for tonight, low 59, partly cloudy for Shabbos, a high 75. Yerushalayim is at 86. We're at 56 here in Jersey City. Good morning from JM and the AM. Wednesday night begins the brand new year of 5775. Malcolm Home Lines coming up. Weekly update starts at 740 Eastern Time this morning here at JM and the AM. And Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 815 this morning on the Torah portions of the week. Galetzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. We say Boker Tov from JM and the AM. גליצה על השעה שתיים, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. פעות כבן ארבע נפצע אנושות ושני הוריו נפצעו כנראה קשה בתאונת דרכים סמוך למחלף גנות. כתבתנו שרון פולבר. אוטובוס פגע ברכב פרטי עם ארבעה נוסעים סמוך לשעה 12 בירידה מכביש ארבע לכביש אחת לכיוון מזרח. צוותים של מגן דוד אדום פינו לבית החולים תל השומר את הפצועים, ביניהם ילד בן ארבע במצב אנוש, פעוט כבן שנה במצב קל עד בינוני, וגבר ואישה בשנות השלושים לחייהם, ככל הנראה הוריהם של הילדים, במצב קשה. שוטרי אגף התנועה נמצאים במקום, וקטע הדרך בו הראה התאונה נסגר לתנועת כלי רכב. פרמדיק מגן דוד אדום שהגיע לזירה, דורון הראל, עדכן בגלי צה"ל על הטיפול בפצועים. הגענו לתאונת דרכים קשה. מדובר בתאונה בכביש מהיר, המראות מאוד מאוד קשים, כשמדובר במשפחה שלמה שמעורבת ופשוט עושה טוויסט קטן. המאבק בדאעש לראשונה גם צרפת תקפה מטרות בעיראק. כתבנו עומר קדרון. בהצהרה רשמית של הנשיא הצרפתי פרנסואה הולנד נמסר כי צרפת הצטרפה למבצע התקיפות האוויריות נגד דאעש בעיראק. הבוקר לראשונה מטוסי קרב שלנו תקפו מטרות לוגיסטיות של הטרוריסטים בעיראק נכתב בהצהרה. מוקדם יותר השבוע כבר התריע הנשיא הולנד כי ארצות תתחיל בתקיפות אוויריות בקרוב, אך הבהיר כי כרגע הן יוגבלו נגד מטרות דאעש בעיראק בלבד ולא בסוריה. 
ההסתדרות תשבית בשבוע הבא שירותים נוספים במשק כהזדהות עם עובדי הדואר. כתבתנו תמר ירושלמי. החל מיום ראשון לא תהיה קבלת קהל בבתי המשפט ולא יתאפשר מעבר מטענים דרך הגבול המזרחי והגבול הדרומי של המדינה מהשעה שמונה בבוקר. העיצומים שהחלו כבר השבוע ברשות האכיפה והגבייה יימשכו, וכך גם תימשך השבתת חלק מהשירותים בדואר ישראל. אתמול איימו בהסתדרות שאם לא יגיע המשבר בדואר לפתרון, ישביתו את המשק כולו. המשטרה עצרה שלוש נשים תושבות לוד בחשד שגנבו טלפונים סלולריים מקונים בשוק של ראש העין. לרשותה נמצאו שישה מכשירים גנובים. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסרת ששלוש החשודות נחקרות כעת. התחזית מחר ללא שינוי, בבוקר ייתכן טפטוף עד גשם מקומי קל. ולסיום, מאות בני אדם הגיעו הבוקר לחנות אפל בפרף כדי להיות הראשונים שרוכשים את האייפון 6 באוסטרליה. ג'אק, שעמד שעות בתור, יצא להראות את המכשיר החדש לכלי התקשורת, אלא שאז הוא נפל מידיו. זה היה אייפון 6. אלה החדשות שעורך הדר שיפר, בצוות אור שפירא ואבי כהן.
in the AM. It's Barry Weber, brand new, with Limik Dasheikh off of his CD, Ben Melech. Before that, Yankee Lemmer, great cantor Yankee Lemmer, with Yismach Moshe from a brand new CD entitled It Is Shabbos. Uh, cantor Yassela Rosenblatt, the uh, legend himself, with Yismachu off of Od Yosef Chai. It is a, uh, it's a big day to play some uh, great chazanim because uh, Slichus begins tomorrow night in the Ashkenazi community. Wednesday night we get together for the start of the brand new year of 5775. Rosh Hashanah, of course, Thursday and Friday, building up to the uh, beginning of a brand new year. Wishing everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. 20 minutes after 7 o'clock on this Friday, a big thank you to our friends at Cedar Market. Remarkable show yesterday, and Simcha Liner was simply unbelievable. Uh, I noticed there are a couple of videos that were going around. Of the performances, check out our Facebook update page, simply entitled Nahum Siegel Network. You can see some of those. Want to thank the people who are uh, starting to follow us on Instagram. I notice those numbers are going up. We'll try to get some photos up over the weekend of some of the different things that have happened over the last few days. Uh, don't forget our uh, NSN app, where you can comment right there on the home screen of the app. We look at that all through the show. And today, as uh, I discussed with Malcolm Honline, some of the events this week in this crazy world of ours. If you want to comment on the home screen of the app, I will try to follow along as our conversation is going. Maybe we'll use some of your suggestions during the conversation. Uh, a few minutes from now, we'll explore the uh, rally that's going on on Monday, the protest at Lincoln Center on the death of Klinghoffer uh, performance at the Met. Do that a few minutes from now, coming up at JM and the AM. Then Malcolm Holmline, Rabbi Yudin, with uh, two Torah portions. It's Nitzavim and Vayelech this week. So two Torah portions Rabbi Yudin will be speaking about. Coming up at 8.15. We'll wrap up the week at 9 o'clock. Don't forget that Naomi Nachman is going to be on at 9. She has yet another amazing Table for Two program. She puts together some uh, fantastic and uh, wonderful shows. And uh, this time around is no exception. Table for two, her guests will be Naomi Ross from Jewish Cooking Concepts and Jay Booksbaum from Royal Wines. They'll discuss the Simanim for Wednesday night and recipes for each one. And Jay, of course, will address the topic of new wines from Israel and wines to accompany our Yom Tov meals. That's all coming up between 9 and 10 this morning with Table for Two. And then we go into our amazing and incredible Erev Shabbos music mix, uh, which is unbelievable. It's the best way to prepare for Shabbos, that's for sure. Uh, from there, we're going to head to uh, our weekend programming. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with uh, Avrami starts at 10 p.m. And then Sunday morning, Matis has JM Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. on our stream at jmandtheam.org. So make sure to be tuned in as we have great programming all through the weekend. And obviously, we'll speak to you again here on Monday morning. Short week for us next week, so make sure you're tuned in for as much as possible. Here's Aaron Razel at JM in the AM. Nachamu ami, 
David off the sheer double CD with Eitz Chaim He. That is a uh, great selection. Aaron Razel before that with Nachamu. J.M. in the AM, 7.30 in the morning on this Friday, Erev Shabbos. Uh, well, we've uh, told you that this coming Sunday, 4.30 at the Met, there's a uh, protest because the uh, Met has decided to go ahead with the run of the death of Klinghoffer. Uh, we mentioned this earlier in the week, and uh, I know there are many prominent organizations, many schools and synagogues and groups that are going to be there on Monday in the 4 o'clock hour to uh, protest the Mets' decision. Uh, Jeff Weisenfeld, who has been at the center of so many 
amazing causes over the years and has been a great friend of this radio program, is, uh, of course, helping to coordinate and is one of the people involved in the leadership for this coming Monday's protest, and he wants to see as many people as possible there in Manhattan this coming Monday. Jeff Weisenfeld, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hello, Nachum. Nice to be with you. I appreciate that. Well, uh, another good cause, and there you are at the forefront. Uh, why is it so vital for people from far and wide, Jews and non-Jews alike, to be there at Lincoln Center this coming Monday afternoon? First of all, you have to understand that this is perfidy against the Jewish people, against America, and it's a glorification of terrorism. You know, in, the ni- in around 1942, when the full length, breadth, and evil of the Holocaust became publicly known to some, Arthur Hayes Sulzberger, then publisher of the New York Times, made every effort to suppress the news of the mass murder of, of our our uncles, our aunts, our grandparents, and our extended families. Every effort. Now, if you, Nachum, God forbid, or I, God forbid, go out on the street today, and an anti-Semite punches one of us in the face, calls us a kike, I know what I would do, of course, I would beat the hell out of that person. You might be a little more polite, you might call the police, but it doesn't matter. It's low-level, low-grade, gutter anti-Semitism. Right. It's when anti-Semitism rises to the highest ranks of culture, as it did at the conclusion of the Weimar Republic, as it did in 1930s Germany, when it rises to a level where it's acceptable to the public to exhibit such a disgusting, perverse opera, then we should recognize that we're just steps away from real, serious problems, steps away from France, from Britain. We will not be far from there if this if this kind of activity continues gelb is uh he's a prevaricator he is uh he is a to me uh he is in the spirit of sulzberger he is a sulzberger jew he is reenacting this type of 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 uh purposeful denial to protect his his reputation and and uh the thing is that jews sometimes feel mistakenly that because they're in the boardroom Everything is great. It doesn't work that way. Life is not that way. In desperation to stop this protest, they have cross-checked at the opera the names of their major, major donors with their campaign contributions to elected officials. And they have called many elected officials or had those donors call many elected officials. Those are the people who made a decision that the opera is more important to them then American society's uh, reputation for civility, tranquility, people basically more or less getting along most of the time. They have gone in into the trenches with Mr. Gelb, and they're calling these elected officials. We will have more than enough of these high-profile people with us, so I'm not concerned. I'm more appreciative and our group, Paul, Dr. Paul Brody and, and Richard Allen and Helen Friedman and all of the, and Hillary Markowitz and all of these wonderful people who came together with us to produce this event and donors who came forward to underwrite buses and production of signs and stages. Intelligent people like Leonard Weiss, a great patron of the opera, 
who gives large donations every year for many years. He says, my donation this year is going to underwrite at least 50 to 70% of the cost of this rally. Jeff Weisenfeld is with us live via telephone. Jeff, Jeff just give me a second. The rally coming up in the 4 o'clock hour on Monday. Do we have any idea in terms of response what to expect? Do you think thousands of people could actually be there at Lincoln Center on Monday? I actually more than believe that, and I'm telling you why, because the uh, provision of the buses and the, the request for the buses by various schools, uh, which guarantee a good number of students for an important teaching moment, at least as important as what they will learn in the classroom that particular day, Monday, and the number of organizations that have signed on, and frankly, the anger at groups that did not sign on and the desire to make a statement and say, if you're not there speaking for us, we will speak for ourselves. It is a crescendo of activity that I've never seen. You know, the, you know I was in the FBI from 1979 to 1985. Right. And you know the terminology they use, God forbid, when they, when they are concerned that there might be an imminent terrorist attack. They say there's a lot of chatter on the airwaves. Right. Well, in a positive way, let me tell you, because you know I have to make a living. I have to take care of my clients. I serve on a number of boards, so my days are long to begin with. I was in the office till 11:30 last night because the chatter is unbelievable. The the number of people uh, uh, communicating with each other on logistics, on times of arrival, and and yesterday we had to spend a half hour, if you can if you can believe it, on uh, where are people going to use bathrooms. We had to figure out which hotel. Uh, we're in Lincoln Center. Should we get partisans? All of this kind of, I mean, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, that's the happy thing, that people are right. coming no, together no, because they feel something. No question about that. Jeff, we've been trying to get an answer to this, and I, I just don't know. I haven't done the research. Maybe you could help. Do we know what specifically is in their performance that is so objectionable? Do we know what's in the death of Klinghoffer, which has really uh, uh, had this... Um, uh, effect on the uh, Jewish community? Yes, there, there, there are two elements to this. Uh, first of all, you must imagine, as I relate this to you, imagine substituting the identity of any other ethnic or religious group instead of Jews, and imagine uh, th- this, this type of language Im- uh, deployed against anyone else. It, it talks about uh, and I'm paraphrasing the best I can with at least 90% accuracy because I've recited many times. Uh, you Jews pollute the environment where you are. You, would, you, uh, you pollute the virgin. Wherever there is misery, you will find Jews. You pillage, you get fat off other people's misery. And this is spoken by the Palestinian terrorists. Now, it's not one line. And Abe Foxman of ADL uh, has has uh, been terrible on this because number one, you know, ADL has made a lot of mistakes, but in this case, Foxman has said, as a for instance, well, I don't think it's anti-Semitic because it's being spoken by the terrorist, but the length of it, the gratuitous nature, the repetition of it, tells you it's anti-Semitism. But I'll tell you what really gives you that: if you listen to the music accompanying the libretto, the libretto is is the prose in the opera if you listen to the music some of your listeners you're going to laugh at me how silly i am but when my favorite uh, tv show when i was young was lost in space when the robinson family 
was planting a hydroponic garden or engaged in some pleasant activity. The music was uplifting, upbeat. When the terrorists speak, excuse me, Lahabdil, it's like Jesus is speaking. It's heraldic. It's like the music that accompanied Moses when he went, when he went to, to up and down Mount Sinai. It's heraldic, heroic music. But when they start talking about Jews and Israelis, it's like the, it's like the appearance, the foreboding music that a monster is coming onto the scene and lost in space. Or it's like the sad music when the Jewish slave is, is beaten by the Egyptian soldier in the Ten Commandments. It's the juxtaposition of the anti-Semitic diatribes and the music that makes it clear that John Adams, the composer, is an anti-Semite, deploying anti-Semitism as a mode of this entertainment. And we should... And they know it, and they know it, and they know it. And we should point out that, uh, for the, I mean, did, we did this earlier in the week, but for those who don't know who Leon Klinghoffer was, in the 1985 hijacking of the Achille Loro, he was uh, murdered and then tossed overboard in his wheelchair. And uh, that, hence the title, The Death of Klinghoffer, and this reaction... Uh, out there. All right. Uh, logistically, uh, people need to know starts at 4:30 this coming Monday. Lincoln Center is Broadway and 65th Street. Right. They should arrive at four. I assure them, they will see dedicated, wonderful public people and organizational leaders who did make the step. Who did make the step to say no? This is a Rubicon. We cannot allow this to be crossed. We will be there because now gross. Horrific anti-Semitism has reached the highest level of our culture, and the opera does not belong to Peter Geld. The opera is a cultural treasure of New York that's being poisoned, and we're going to stop it. Will there be government officials, yes or no? Yes, there will. Thank you, Jeff. Have a by the former Attorney General of the United States, Judge Michael McKaysey. Wow. A wonderful, wonderful man. Wow, that's phenomenal. Uh, happy, healthy, sweet New Year to you, and thank you for joining us. You too. All the best. Jeff Weisenfeld, Monday is the protest rally. Uh, at the Met, 65th and Broadway, New York City, everybody is encouraged to be there. And um, when you hear the background, uh, the music analysis is uh, is one thing, and, and certainly point well taken. But when you hear the background of how how this came to be and uh, and what the mission is of this particular performance, it's just mind-boggling. JM and the AM at 19 minutes before 8 o'clock. Weekly update coming up. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us and plenty more if you keep it here at JM and the AM.
have some amazing selections. The Maccabees with Aisha's Chayel. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Nitzavim and Vayelach. Final Shabbos of the year with candle lighting at 6.39 on this era of Shabbos. 6.39. Rosh Hashanah's Thursday and Friday will be off the air both days. Ooh, we didn't do our Elul Shofar blowing this morning. Maybe we'll do it right after Rabbi Yudin. Um, we'll be off the air both days, um, um, Thursday and Friday next week. Uh, for Rosh Hashanah, all other programming will be uh, made available here at WFMU. Uh, my thanks to Cedar Market, amazing show yesterday, and thank you to Simcha Liner for a fantastic uh, performance. Coming up Monday on JM in the AM, Yitzi Bald is expected in our studio in the 8 o'clock hour. The brand new NYBC CD is out. Yitzi Bald is expected to visit us this coming Monday morning. Big project. Um, for, for an era that, uh, you're seeing CDs, you know, uh, uh, move out of the industry, he has, uh, put together a CD booklet like, uh, like the old days. So we'll do that Monday, uh, with Yitzi Bolden Studio. Also, don't forget the great show for Blowout is Sunday right here in New Jersey. The great show for Blowout. You gotta register and just show up, uh, at the Adikman Family Jewish Community Campus at 901 Route 10 in Whippany, New Jersey this coming Sunday. They're going to try to make history the largest chauffeur blowout ever. Bring your chauffeur. And by the way, Matis on Sunday morning will have uh, Bob Lichtman on. They will um, do the last-minute details regarding the event on Sunday. So make sure to be tuned in to JM Sunday on our stream at jmandtheam.org. Matis will have all that with Robert Lichtman this coming Sunday. The website is thegreatchauffeurblowout.org, thegreatchauffeurblowout.org. Dot org. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the final weekly update of 5774. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. You're really not on next week? Yeah, believe it or not. I'll be on in Staten Island if you want to come out and hear Musaf, but then you'd have to come out for th- then you'd have to come out for three days, right? And the Verrazano and all that, you know, if you're actually going to walk oh. it. That would be a problem. Have you have you yet revealed where you'll be for Rosh Hashanah? What your plans are? I'll be in Woodcliffe Lake. Woodcliffe? That's New Jersey? That is. 
You'll be in New Jersey this coming Rosh Hashanah. So that was some year 5774, wasn't it? It still is, yes. And it's, uh, and it seems to be one of those years that's not going out with a whimper, but until the last minute, going to continue to give us surprises. Now, and I like to emphasize that, uh, and it's interesting, I visited a couple of communities over the last few weeks. I am impressed by the security at some of the larger synagogues in our metropolitan area on Shabbos morning. And I'm assuming that in many places that will continue, obviously, for the high holidays. And as we like to point out, you always reassure us that those who are, uh, are responsible for our safety and take it very seriously in places like New York and New Jersey are on full alert, so to speak, with the high holiday season in full swing. It's true, not just in New York and New Jersey, in, in many parts of the country. I think there's a new seriousness, and given the threats and the fact that uh, ISIS and others uh, have said they will take uh, the attacks abroad and that uh, there have been groups discovered. Uh, there was a group uh, in Denmark recently in the last week and others that uh, are linked to, to these threats. So we take it seriously, and the shuls and the communities have to take it seriously. And uh, if we see something, say something. Don't hesitate. It's better to be wrong than sorry. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, I was reading before the Scotland vote was uh, revealed and uh, the results was, you know, started pouring in that it would be, and, and explain this to me because it seems like, I mean, I always emphasize this, how, how, it, how it's all about, uh, you know, for us, the effect on Israel and, you know, good for the Jews, bad for the Jews. Apparently, uh, a secession from the U.K. by Scotland, which is now not going to be the case, was viewed as bad for Israel. Could you explain that? Well, succession, number one, it brings uh, elements of uh, that, that are not determinable now. Second, the government of, uh, of Scotland has tended to be quite anti-Israel. It's a very liberal left uh, orientation, uh, and... Uh, People were concerned about the kind of government that would emerge. They've made statements that are very disturbing over the in the past, not doing the necessarily particularly concerned. And I know that many people in schools around the world were concerned. And uh, <laughs> and can you explain why, especially with the type of government or the type of um, citizenry that you just described in Scotland, why didn't the vote go through? From a political science point of view, why was it uh, shot down yesterday? Well, I think we'll find out as they do assessments and, and more of the exit polling is analyzed, but they successfully, I think, scared a lot of the older people that their financial situation would be jeopardized and their exclusion from the EU, that they would not be given membership and that they would um, face uh, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you know, the nationalistic feelings were, were great. The fact that they got 46 percent of the vote is not something that would have been predicted before right. and uh, the, the amount of fervor that was uh, expressed and continues to be expressed even after the defeat but saying that this is not over not likely to be a vote again as uh, the prime minister of england said in this generation some said in a lifetime but it it has unleashed something which uh, i think is not going to be going away so quickly and and the government of england is going to have to deliver uh, on the promises about greater autonomy for scotland and greater control over their 
own dealings, especially well, economic. Fascinating, especially in light of how long they've been together. Uh, since when did Al-Qaeda, or ISIS in this case, uh, establish a presence in Australia? Australia has been a target for a long time uh, of Muslim immigration, including terrorists. They've, they've been on the alert for uh, quite a while. Uh, but it's it's not just Australia. Australia is visible right now, but we've seen it uh, popping up in Brussels. You saw it with the attack on the museum in France. We've seen it in, uh, as I said, in Denmark or Sweden, other places where the uh, alerts have gone out, people being warned about uh, the growth of this of ISIS presence, but it's and and you can you add to that Hezbollah, which has a, a worldwide uh, footprint, and you have uh, Hamas, which has presence in other places, not as much, and uh, none of it I think is comparable to Hezbollah, which I think is is probably the largest. But Al Qaeda, in its in its um, new incarnation or continuing uh, presence, is is not centrally located, and they are not as territorial. They didn't look to capture territory. ISIS, uh, ISIL, ICE, uh, <laughs> it goes to to move to, to, to control specific areas and focused first in Syria, then in, in uh, Iraq, and, and trying to consolidate their hold on greater and greater amount of territory. We see it this week in Yemen, which, as you know, I discussed on the show People, I'm sure, glazed over asking where Yemen was. They didn't know it still existed. They had heard about it many years ago. Well, what I talked about a couple of weeks ago took place this week. The the Houthis, who are a terrorist organization, uh, they're Zaidi Shiites, supported by Iran, a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran, I would say, who for years have been the proxy in the Iranian-Saudi war, attacking Saudis across the border. The Saudis have bombed the border with Yemen many times, have... Uh, taken raids against uh, the Houthis. Well, they are moved into the capital. They're now on a street called Dalatin, which is a, a major thoroughfare going into the capital, and they've been holding protests and have, like, protest cities in, inside the capital to topple the government. They now control the whole area from the capital, Sana, to the Saudi border. Now, if you're sitting in Saudi Arabia and you see this, this has to be very unsettling, and that it gives Iran the foothold that it wants in the Arabian Peninsula, so it can go against Oman next, but most importantly, you have the Straits, and it and controlled by Bab al-Mandab, which is part of, of Yemen. They could control, together with Somalia, which is on the other side, and also a, a radical t- Islamist regime, but the shipping where, where 60 or 70 percent of the oil to the West goes through. And everything coming from the uh, the Gulf area. Are there any Arab states that would like to see them? Uh, I mean, I'm sure many would like to see them stop this infiltration into places like Yemen. But there's nobody who can go ahead and control them at this point. Well, they are an they they are a tribe that has been there. But you also have the tribal groups in Yemen who are now more Muslim Brotherhood oriented, who were fighting before. But the the Houthis have managed to uh, fight off the. the the counter-response, the, the Yemeni's army seems to be very, very weak. Now they're negotiating with the Houthis. Uh, officials are, are negotiating with them. Uh, they have surrounded a lot of the institutions of the Sunni Islam party, including taking university, the TV station. Uh, dozens have been killed in the past few days. And again, people have to understand the significance of each of these things, that what, what hardly gets any coverage, Iran 
gets coverage, and everybody understands Iraq's big country, oil, etc. Yemen is a critical country, too, and it gets no coverage. And the expansion of the Islamist influence, and uh, in, not only in the Middle East, but in Africa today, in other parts of the world. So your question you know, is an important one that people see the spread and how the tentacles are reaching out globally. Wow. Look I'm... at the reports about Texas, from Midland, Texas, the police chief, and you can buy, you don't have to buy it, but look at the reports about uh, the area in on the Mexican-Texas border, uh, Ciudad Juarez, I think it's called, and, and they talk about the Islamists, how IS has a presence there. <laughs> Um, I'm just, you know what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously looking at a map uh, to see what you're describing on the border of the turn it upside down on the border of the Arabian Sea. Right. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. You control that area. You control everything essentially. It's critically important. Uh, by the way, I started with Australia, for, and I'm sure you understand why, because you know the common folk, including myself. You know, as much as we've seen uh, Europe become overrun, and obviously we know about the presence in uh, South America, and you continue to describe what's going on in the United States, we've always had this impression, like if there's going to be, you know, th that Muslim radicalism is never going to get to Australia. I didn't realize, based on the news of this week, that it's been like this already for over a decade. It has. I, I did talk about it, the, the immigration from the islands, from Indonesia, from Malaysia, ongoing, not necessarily Islamists, but amongst them many Islamists. And they have had problems with the uh, with the threat of terror and uh, with some incidents for a long time. And they, you know, the governments there have been outspoken uh, about dealing with it. That it has not been, uh, you know, the kind of quiet approach to it. Yeah, um, you know, the White House, and I, I don't know if you ever think of this, but this came to my mind last night. There's no proper reaction to the beheadings. And I mentioned this because in Australia that was one of their goals, right, to find a random person and, again, do one of these, you know, international videos of a beheading, right? That was the, that was the goal of the group. That's what they said. Right. So the, the, in the White House, for instance, and I, I assume leadership in other democratic countries, there's it, it it seems there's no effective response and i don't just mean strategically i mean symbolically what is the president i know there are a lot of critics of the president in this audience but what is the president of the united states supposed to do what is supposed to be the proper reaction when these madmen or one in particular who we keep seeing in the videos is frightening the entire world with these brutal acts what would you like to see the president of the united states you know how, how should he be responding in a symbolic sense it seems that no matter what he says, it's completely ineffective, and nobody thinks that they can stop this. Well, I think the problem with the West is that their responses are always symbolic. I don't want symbolic responses. I want action. We could should have taken action a long time ago in Syria, and it doesn't mean having to put, put you know boots on the ground, even though we want, we already now have boots on the ground. Uh, we admit to 1,500 in Iraq. They're going to need more support. The answer is that we should have identified people at the very beginning, now we're going to go give aid, and we have nobody in Syria who I think is a worthy recipient. It's going to be so hard to identify anybody with whom we can work. How did Congress? How did? How did how Congress fell for that? That's the first thing I thought of when I heard about aid to the rebels. Well, there's, been a, there's a lot of concern, and we we they want to do something, and this you know seems like a most reasonable approach, and it's why Congress, uh, both Democrats and Republicans, voted for it. And and I understand it, Nate. But you 
you know, that the beheadings are taking place in Gaza, they're taking place in Syria, they took place in Lebanon recently. It's becoming a, 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 a phenomenon around the world because they saw the success that ISIS had with it. That it, rather than causing the revulsion that we react to it amongst young Muslims, it became a rallying call. It became a recruitment tool. And there are just reports of Americans from Minnesota, especially Somali families in the St. Paul, Minnesota region, boys and girls, going to to, to the region. They say that 15 to 20 young women, and I know that they, Britain said 60, and there are perhaps 300 Western women who are fighting with ISIS, and, and most many of them are members of the Modesty Patrol or other uh, enforcement uh, operations. And this, these beheadings became uh, recognized as something that excited, that something that showed determination, and the the way that they carried out with the guy standing there holding neck and using it to to uh, make a statement is uh, has become has gone viral and it becomes uh, an increasingly accepted practice that people now compete to who's beheaded more people that that's what's unbelievable we got we got to get a psychiatrist on on during this update one week to explain this phenomenon is it the violence is it the revolutionary aspect what is it that this recruitment tool has been so effective in so many countries well, you have the you have preachers and imams who are preaching this, who, who who support it, who say that this is the force that is spreading the word of Islam. That they see, you know, the corruption in a lot of the Muslim countries. They see the uh, the failures in a lot of the countries, and they're saying, here's a force. Look, they took on the West. They they took on Assad. They they uh, are on the ascendancy. They just took 21 Kurdish villages uh, in the last two days, and are, are attacking another city in. Uh, in Syria, and that the, the, the successes and the fact that the West attacks them and, and only enhances the image that they have and becomes more attractive to young people. As I re- uh, mentioned once on the air, that there were hundreds of young Frenchmen went to Syria and said they were Mohammed Mara fighters. They went, this is the guy who killed the three little children outside the Jewish school and the soldiers and the rabbi. Um, and they were inspired by his action, but the way you give expression to it is to go there. They also recruit very widely, and you can't tell recruitment because often it's done by domestic residents. I know, but some of the, you mentioned Somalia, and certainly anybody with a certain background, we might be able to understand it. Unless Facebook's completely false, it's the regular American kids that are getting involved with it, which is so hard to believe. M- Muslims. Uh, it's not attracting... Except for some converts, or you know, right, those are the exceptions. Uh, far out people, it, it isn't attracting general American uh, young people to the thing. They're troubled people, perhaps, but right. I, I wouldn't say that it has an appeal to to broader audience. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at ninety one point nine on the FM dial, around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Um, what do you, may I share with you the campaign slogan of senatorial candidate Robert Ransdell in Kentucky? May I share with you his campaign slogan? Okay. With Jews, we lose. Right. What do you think? It rhymes, but, uh, (laughs) it's, uh, yeah, I know about it. I think they've uh, repealed it. And he's a he's a extremist candidate, and uh, yeah, at this point he's a right-in candidate. Right. It's a r- wrong-in candidate. 
But just the fact that, uh, I don't know, I mean, I know that, you know, we, we, we certainly have a history in this country of plenty of episodes and incidents, but I don't know, it's 2014, and you'd think that, you know, we've gotten past all this, and sure enough, a guy can get national attention and essentially been given the, uh, you know, the freedom of speech routine by media outlets, you know, in this day and age. No, I think he's been, I mean, he's been treat, being treated as uh, uh, as an isolate case um, uh, and a fringe uh, candidate. But you're right, the very fact that this becomes even feasible right. today. But unfortunately, and when I say it, I know people say, you know, it's depressing, it's scary to hear all of this. Yeah. We're coming into Rosh Hashanah, they're yeah. going to start looking at the, the fact that in France you have a doubling of numbers, in Britain a tripling of the numbers of anti-Semitic incidents. Correct, and it's coming to the U.S. even more. And it's here, and it's on yeah. our campuses, and we have... And the future of the Jewish peoples in the state of Israel. Uh, at, at campus forums and other places where you hear the kind of anti-Israel stuff with no balance about the real facts, and, and, and much of the media feeds it, too. And the future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. And did I mention that the future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel? You know, back to a second on this congressional vote. Um, last week you described for us essentially, unless I didn't get it right and believe me, it's possible with the way things are going these days and trying to keep track of everything in the Middle East, you basically described three sides, right? That was the conclusion we came to in Syria, that we always thought there's two sides to this, but essentially now there's three sides because you don't know who Assad is going to align himself with politically in his country, right? He won't align, align himself with any of those parties. He allies himself with Hezbollah. So now, when the U.S. says, okay, aid to the rebels, which of the three sides is that money going to? Uh, and I would say that there, there's much more than three sides. If you take a look just what's going on in the Golan, where al-Nusra, which is an al-Qaeda offshoot, if you remember, uh, was uh, al-Qaeda in, in, uh, in Syria, they control most of the crossings and most of the border area including some of the crossings between Israel and Syria, and are increasing their presence there. IS is said to have individuals, but they don't have a, a military presence there, but the Syrian army was routed uh, from that area. Then you have perhaps 30, 40 different rebel groups, plus you have uh, ISIS controlling Raqqa and the area. And now, because they think the United States is going to bomb, they removed all of their fighters, families, and their offices and other things, and they move underground. They have the tunnels, they have facilities, you know, in hidden places. Uh, so they move them out of Raqqa, but out of Raqqa is where the oil is and where they, which they are selling back to the Assad regime, which they're fighting, to uh, through Kurdish middlemen, and they and it all goes out through Turkey. And when the U.S. has been pressuring Turkey to, uh, to stop it, they haven't. And that, that's another subject. So, so when the U.S. Syria says itself, then you have the Free Syrian Army, which is right. Very so when when the U.S. announces the Syrian rebels are getting the money, who's getting it? Uh, they have to determine which groups they can work with. It's almost impossible. It's very hard, and because you know the, the the truth is, you have opposition outside with whom I've met, but they're not the ones fighting on the ground. The Free Syrian Army was our ally initially. It's weak. It hasn't produced. Uh, it produced very little. So now you have a conglomeration. In some cases, they've merged together, many under ISIS, but we're not going to help ISIS and its affiliates. And therefore, we have to really carefully identify. Right. Because look how the arms have flown, flowed now. You know, in the, in the Golan, uh, they, you know, they took over the U.N. presence there, and, they, and all the soldiers ran into Israel. 
so now you have these terrorists have U.N. uniforms, U.N. vehicles, U.N. weapons. So you're not going to know when somebody approaches and you see a guy in a U.N. uniform, whether it's a terrorist or it's a U.N. peacekeeper. That's why I'm telling you, I, that's why I was shocked that no prominent U.S. senator got up and simply said, what are we doing? Do we even know who this is going to go finance? Oh, they have said it. They, there were many who, who got up and expressed reservations. They they want to show that they support the president and, and they want the president to take tougher action in in the instance. But I, I think this is something where American intelligence and others have to are playing a role working with the parties on the ground to see. Look, you know, we, we said we cleared it of, of chemical weapons, Syria. And, and they got them. Now they're fighting. No, they're finding. Uh, the Israelis say there are uh, rocket-propelled grenades, missile warheads, uh, bombs with uh, chemical weapons uh, on it, probably uh, sarin. But whatever gave and, us the insur- assurance that they, that they had gotten rid of them? Right. That's a good question. And they admit, the Syrians admitted that they had a, a research and development facility plus laboratories producing racin, which they had not disclosed before. And uh, and so after the world is, is convinced that everything is out of there, we're finding that they still have this, and they retained, retained stockpiles of, of uh, chemical weapons. You know what I'm surprised about, by the way? Who has been more outspoken to the world about the situation with Iran and nuclear capability than the leaders of Israel, obviously, you know, led by the prime minister? When it comes to ISIS and its influence now in the Middle East, you would think that Israel would be more outspoken about what must be done in order to defeat them, and it's been relatively quiet on that issue. Well, because anything Israel says or does becomes a, vehicle, a tool for the other side against to mobilize people and say, you see, it's really a Zionist plot, it's the Israelis. And they say it all the time, by the way, about everything that goes on. So Israel has to be somewhat careful. Also, Israel doesn't have a presence on the ground. They do share intelligence with the United States and West because of satellites and others, and also because they understand that, as uh, al-Zawahiri said, it's Damascus first, then Jerusalem. This is a holy war. And the holy war for them means recreating. Their name was ISIL initially. Right. That wasn't Lebanon. It was the Levant. Right. And Levant includes all of what was then Palestine, meaning Israel, Jordan, uh, Syria, Lebanon. That's their goal, is to create a caliphate. And when, they, when IS, now the Islamic State, really means the establishment of the caliphate in the region, that's their goal. And the president got criticized for using ISIL. And, if you know, on Israel's side, isn't it better that someone as high-profile him as him use that expression? Because, again... If people knew what it meant, it might be... <laughs> it might be better, helpful. But, you know, <laughs> you know, nobody really uh, knows. And and it, it should be explained, because first they used to say it stands for Syria and Lebanon... And it didn't. And then it was it was ISIL when it was Iraq and Syria, and and uh, Iraq and Lebanon, at Levant. Right. So then the transformation of the name now it's just IS because they want everything. Right. <laughs> That's why if it's Damascus first and then Jerusalem, you would think that. But, but maybe you're right that in, in an outgoing public manner, there's no need to. I, I have to assume. That Israel, through intelligence and through military presence, whatever that means, is taking whatever precautions possible on their own borders when it comes to ISIS. Because they know what you just said, that Jerusalem is in fact next. Well, certainly they bolstered their presence there greatly. 
the the, 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 the groups operating like on Nusra don't want to start up with Israel yet, but there's every expectation that they could heat up this, and Israel will be very strong in the response. There'll be no holding back. They also have to worry about the Lebanon border with, uh, with Hezbollah's huge presence with 100,000 missiles and with uh, the tunnels that they're looking for and at. Um, Israel is monitoring all of this. The intelligence is very extensive. Their physical presence there, uh, and and at the same time, they set up a field hospital to treat Syrians. Yeah. Uh, three, almost four hundred of them have come to Israeli hospitals. And yesterday, a leader of the Syrian opposition, who who couldn't, who's outside of Syria now, went to visit some of the Syrians in the hospitals in Haifa, and he said publicly that Assad is slaughtering us and Israel is healing us. Unbelievable. Talk about a message for the new year. Um, by the way, you think there'll be a new airport in northern Israel? Is that an international airport? Is Israel going to have a second international airport in the near future? If uh, an international airport that we're talking about using the one in, in the south, but there is talk about developing one as an alternative. Yeah, I read about the Galil that they were thinking about. About the Galil, right. But so, it's, it's very hard because you need a lot of land to build uh, airports are huge you know when you come into the area of ben Gurion, you know you drive for quite a while from right. this point i just think it's uh, another and again great message for the last uh, you know weekly update of the year i just think it's uh, it's unbelievable that israel might be at the stage just a small country and sometimes we forget might be at the stage where they need and would you know and would be able to grow even further imagine what it would do for the north of israel if there was a second international airport and you always point out that you know there's a lot of good news to share out there and one of it is if you look at the last year 5774 the growth in Israel in so many areas has been unbelievable and you know that that Malaysia and Indonesia the biggest uh, the biggest countries Muslim countries their trade is skyrocketing with Israel even during the war it didn't stop it wasn't diminished at all uh, and that was the good news that Israel's economy was able to withstand uh, the pressures of this uh, latest conflict, but we're going to see much more efforts to about the boycott and uh, PA Abbas coming to New York this week to, to press uh, unilateral actions, whether it's the International Criminal Court, the threat of the International Criminal Court, Aye. but we'll use this vehicle to remind him that if he does that, he's the one who could end up being in the docket on charges of war crimes. He it was his partner. They, they played too much of a role in a lot of this stuff, so he better be wary about what he does, but the unilateral actions, which could cost him USAID, um, and then he'll he'll present himself as being the the uh, victim of Israeli intransigence, and his goal is to isolate Israel globally and to increase pressure so he doesn't have to negotiate. He wants the UN to negotiate and to be the mediator, not the U.S., to, to deliver for him. Uh, so he doesn't have to make any concessions. Yeah, well, the only flaw with that argument that, you know, we'd be able to hold his feet to the fire is that he has, he has a lot of anti-Israel allies on his side, you know, who would be more than happy to uh, help him progress in this area of criminal... Uh, well, there's one thing at the UN, there's another thing at the, at the ICC, which has also had tendencies to be anti-Israel. Any UN agency virtually is, is already stacked against Israel. Uh, but the question of their standing, do they have the right to bring it in the past? The court has said no. And uh, in fact, one of the key people in the court, uh, who was on the court, uh, has now become, uh, has come to the other side in terms of the arguments he's put forward publicly uh, about it. So it's not a slam dunk for him.
You talked about trade relations a moment ago uh, uh, with Israel, Malaysia, etc. Uh, someone told me, is it true that the Technion, and maybe it was a different technical institution in Israel, maybe it was not Technion, but there's a significant Asian population among the student body in a place like Technion? Absolutely. Which is unbelievable. Chinese students fight to come to Israel. There's a delegation from China there uh, almost every week. I am in touch with people in China, and they are, uh, they all want to have a piece of Israel. You know, they bought um, into Teva, I think it was. It was right. Yeah, one of those pharmaceuticals. And they right. bought into, but but they bought it. That was high profile. They right. bought into many other firms. And what do they want from Teva? They want their cows. Then it's not because they want the milk from the cows. They want the cows to teach, to learn, and to have the secret about how does Israel, why do Israeli cows produce so much more milk? And China's needs are endless. Uh, but they're also their creativity, their respect for Jews, the uh, the interest in Israel. And uh, when I was in China, and uh, there are organizations in Israel that work to promote the relationship between China and Israel, and they tell me that they have, uh, you know, 10 applicants for every slot that they can give somebody at a university in Israel. And there's, uh, you know, there are now cadres of Hebrew-speaking Chinese who have gone back to, to China and who maintain the ties. That's why there's a great deal of work in the high-tech area and other areas between China and Israel uh, that... Uh, and, and of course, the expansion, the broad expansion of the trade with uh, India and the new prime minister of India, with whom, God willing, we will meet in the coming week, um, uh, who's extremely supportive and uh, appreciative of Israel. I told you, uh, I think I told you this, a suggestion of a friend of mine that China should take over Israel. All of a sudden, you'd see the Israeli military grow like crazy. <laughs> 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 but they will take them all back to China. I don't know about that. Maybe they'd want to fly the flag in the Middle East. Well, China, when they go into countries generally, is to remove the resources. Mm. And part of the reason you have such a backlash in, in Africa against them is because they buy huge swaths of land, produce food, but they don't leave it there for domestic production or even to make money domestically. It is They take it all back to China, and that creates uh, a lot of resentment. We're in these countries that need the food uh, as well. One of our listeners corrected that it was the Tanuva purchase that uh, right Tanuva right. that made the uh, right not Teva the, far- the cows right, right not the Teva farmers. But one and another. Before I uh, turn to you for our Rosh Hashanah message, because the brand new year of five seven seven five is upon us. So so. Um, uh, Angela Merkel goes to an anti-Semitism uh, a rally against anti-Semitism in Berlin and speaks. And I am told that it's not—it's not like here in the United States, where public officials and obviously someone as high profile as her, you know, can get up at a rally like that and not be met with tremendous criticism. Uh, so on one end, we see obviously the problems that the Jewish communities of Europe are having right now. On the other end, we see to, the, to a large degree there are public officials in Europe willing to stand up. Well, she has been very supportive all along, and the fact is that not, that not only she, but the president of Germany, uh, and this is very rare, that the, that the two would be in one place at one time, and uh, made very strong statements. It was focusing on anti-Semitism, and they had five, six, seven thousand people showed up. Uh, that is remarkable. You have some other leaders who have spoken out against the anti-Semitism, some of the people beginning to recognize the, the price you pay for uh, uh, all of this. Uh, but more leaders have to speak out, and they have to act. They have to prosecute. They have to 
they have the laws there are different than here with group libel, so you can prosecute less uh, different definition of freedom of speech. Right. Uh, so the, her presence there was very significant. Uh, Rosh Hashanah message as we wrap up the year. What would you like to see the rabbis discuss Thursday from the pulpit, Malcolm, if someone wants to give an important message to open people's eyes as to what's happening in this world of ours, what should the message be from our leaders this uh, coming Rosh Hashanah? Look, part of the purpose of uh, Rosh Hashanah is we commit ourselves to the coming year. And then during the Aseris Yimei Tshuva and Yom Kippur, we look to the last year and, and try to do Tshuva for what, uh, repent for what we did wrong. But Rosh Hashanah has a different content in the Tzvilah where we don't have those elements. And I think that the, if, if I really had the opportunity to influence all the rabbis, and we have done, did something this, this week with briefings uh, by Frank Luntz, who just completed a study of the campuses in America and the, and the very disturbing results, uh, really shook up uh, the conference of presidents when he, he addressed them about the, and showed them the charts and the reaction is to have the rabbi speak from the pulpit, and this means everybody, and give them the arguments. Tell them what they have to go out and say. To charge them now, because we're going to face these challenges, get people to understand their responsibility, that each of them has an ability to influence and to make a difference. And if we're looking to the year ahead, not just to the past year, to think about how do we in this year meet that responsibility, how do we show... Uh, because so many skills are future-oriented. If you look at the words, and really people don't just say them, but try to understand uh, the challenge, it, it looks back, but it also looks forward, that, the, that this year, more than ever, we have to educate our young kids and that we have to, to orient them and to tell them what the arguments are and that rabbis have pulpits in which to say to people, don't fall into the traps, and, I, and this is for all rabbis across the board, that to warn people about what the real issues are and why people have to be alert and that no one can say, like it, when it comes to tzedakah, when it comes to anything else, that it's somebody else's responsibility, that, you know, they'll wait till somebody else does it. This is a time of, and the challenges that we discuss now and the many more that we have discussed them throughout the, the year. And people shouldn't say, oh, this is depressing to look at it. Jews have to face reality. Well, you just mentioned something about being depressed when you saw research uh, results. Is that something the public's going to be uh, able to see in, in the near future? We're not going to publish it because we're not going to feed the enemy. But the uh, uh, those who work on campus, those who work in communities, the, all the leadership. I mean, can it be worse than we think the average college campus is now? I mean, most of us have a pretty negative impression about the attitude toward Israel on college campuses. And amongst young Jews, even on the even amongst young Jews, why, uh, even uh, amongst young Jews, uh, this is also so important. Um, and and even those who who come from families that are committed, and from even some with good Jewish educations, but the but the schools are not equipping them, and especially those with high school students. And you know how long I've urged this. Yep. Uh, but I would tell you that, that if we're doing introspection, we have to look at it as a cloud. We look at it not just in our personal circumstances, but we do a, a retrospection about the community. And this year, with all the challenges and the opportunities, there's, there is a lot of good news. There is a lot that we can be proud of and that we have to teach our kids to be proud to talk about. Look at all the discoveries and teach them about them, showing our roots in Israel for thousands of years, verified and re-verified and re-verified, 
and the and the Tanakh coming to life in these new new uh, excavations and discoveries because of the Kodesh Baruch God is sending us these signals. He just got to wake up to it and realize it. He's saying, look, I give you all these opportunities and giving you all these blessings and giving you all uh, of things that your grandparents and great-grandparents didn't have. Now show you're worthy of it. And I hope that people will at least take some time to think about it and to consider their responsibility, clown not just to themselves and to their families, which, of course, is primary, but so is it because we're all going to have the same fate. Take this opportunity to wish you and your family happy, healthy, and sweet New Year, Mr. Honeline. I hope we have the chance to do this for another year together. God willing, and, and you shall I and we'll be able to celebrate there together. That uh, this, will, this will be the year, and uh, and if not, then we'll keep praying. <laughs> and we'll just keep going, Bezrat Hashem. <laughs> I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Next week's obviously Rosh Hashanah. Erev Yom Kippur will speak together. Two weeks from today, and there'll be a lot to cover for the end of September. Two weeks from today, uh, we will uh, reconvene for our weekly update. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. JewishWorldReview.com continues to highly recommend to its amazing readership our live stream at jmtheam.org, which today will feature Naomi Nachman and a great program right after JM in the AM. And, of course, our uh, amazing Kedem Erev Shabbos music mix, which is coming up all the way until candlelighting time. And I thank JewishWorldview.com. If you want millions, all right, maybe that's an exaggeration. If you want thousands of articles about what's going on in this amazing world of ours and you want to print out a bunch of them before Shabbos, go to the website before Shabbos, JewishWorldview.com, and explore and enjoy. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candlelighting 639 on this Erev Shabbos. Parshas Nitzavim and Vayelech will do the Elul Shofar blowing after Rabbi Yudin's presentation, this time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of congregation, Sh- Ooh, sorry about that, spiritual leader of congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading the two parshios of Nitzavim and Vayelech. According to the Chinuch, with this Shabbos, we complete the Tariyag. We complete the 613 mitzvos of the Torah. There are, according to the Chinuch, who follows his Rebbe, the Rambam, two and the last two of the Torah mitzvos found in Parshas Vayelech, and they are 612, the mitzvah of Hakel. Hakel is that the entire nation gathers together on the holiday of Sukkos following the Shemitah year. Please God, this forthcoming year, 5,775 is a Shemitah year. So next Sukkos, please God, is the time for the biblical mitzvah of Hakel. Once in seven years, the king leads from the Sefer Torah to the entire Jewish nation on Chol HaMoed Sukkot. And finally, the last mitzvah, according to the Chinuch, is that of the mitzvah of Ksivas, Sefer Torah, that each Jew is to have, first of all, to write, to have a Sefer Torah, the concept of the availability of Torah, 
a Jewish library, but also literally to write Sifrei Torah. We'll see, please God, that according to the Ramban, there is one more mitzvah found in Parshas Ha'azinu. Before we get started, I'd just like to remind everybody that while the Sephardim have been reciting slichos from the beginning of Chodesh Elul, Ashkenazim begin the recitation of slichos, please God, this coming Motzah Shabbos, this coming Sunday morning. Now, the reason for that, or at least certainly one of the reasons is... Interestingly, if you look in Parshas Pinchas, where the Torah speaks of the Karban Musaf that was brought on all of the Chagim, so regarding all the holidays, the Torah uses the term Vihikravtem, namely, and you shall bring the following Karbanos. And so it's true regarding Pesach, Regarding Shavuos, this is found beginning in chapter 28 of the fourth book of the Torah in Bamidbar. When it comes to Rosh Hashanah, there there is the exception to the rule. The Torah says, Va'asisem Ola. Literally, you shall make an elevation offering. We can't make an elevation offering. But our rabbis tell us that we are to look upon ourselves as if we are the offering for Rosh Hashanah. And just as an animal, in order to be worthy, to be brought onto the altar, onto the Mizbeach, had to pass an examination on four consecutive days to make sure that the animal was blemish-free, so too each and every one of us are to go through a period of introspection for a minimum of four days prior to Rosh Hashanah, preparing ourselves for the ultimate preparation for Yom Hadin. And hence, we begin minimally four days before Rosh Hashanah. So this year, we have, please God, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the four days of recitation of Slichos next week. We begin Motzo'e Shabbos and then continue with Slichos as well through Aseris Yimei Tshuva and ultimately culminate Yom Kippur with Ne'ila, with the recitation of Slichos. I'd like to focus regarding the parsha of Nitzavim, the first of the two parshios, with the opening verse, which is, Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem. Literally, the Torah says, you, referring to the entire Jewish nation, are standing today. Kulchem, all of you. Now, what day is this? So literally, it refers to the day shortly before Moshe's passing, when Moshe is delivering 
here is one of his farewell addresses to the nation, and as we can see from the that which follows in this Torah reading, Moshe is entering the Jewish nation into a covenant. The Zohar, however, tells us that it's not coincidental that we read Parshas Nitzavim every year prior to Rosh Hashanah, and the verse begins, Atem Nitzavim Hayom, you are all standing today. What day is it? What's the Hayom? It's the Hayom of Rosh Hashanah. And interestingly, the tour tells us something very fascinating regarding Rosh Hashanah. The tour says, my goodness, look at the Jewish nation, points out Rabbi Hanina and Rabbi Yoshua. For unlike any other people, that when they face din, when they face their judgment, and they are to appear before the judge, so by definition, how do they act? Lovei They put on literally dark clothing, and they don't shave, they don't groom themselves by cutting their nails. Why? Because they are very, very uncertain as to what's going to be the outcome of their judgment. They are exceedingly nervous. Avo Yisrael, but the Jewish nation, oh no, Enokein, Lovshim Levanim, we wear white on Rosh Hashanah. And we have the practice of taking haircuts and grooming ourselves prior to Rosh Hashanah. We eat and we drink on Rosh Hashanah. Why? The Fisheyodim, because we know and we're confident that God is going to perform for us a miracle. And therefore, we have this practice of haircuts, bathing, Erev Rosh Hashanah. How do we explain this? Says the altar of Kelm. We explain it with the opening verse. How do we know that we're going to stand literally on this day of Rosh Hashanah? And the answer is, When you are together as one, when the Jewish people are one unit, so it's not simply that there is strength in numbers. No. Each individual, when they connect themselves to the tzibor, to the community, to the nation, then they are no longer looked upon upstairs as an individual, but rather they are looked upon as an individual, sherabim tzrichim lo, that the community, that the nation needs that person. And therefore, the community and the nation of Israel gives each individual who is attached to the community greater merits in terms of their passing, in terms of their success on Rosh Hashanah. They're no longer looked upon as an individual, but they're looked upon with the merits of the community. And therefore, any which way, says the altar, that a person can connect themselves to the community by certainly 
teaching others, guiding others, showing responsibility for others, inviting others to your home. Every which way that you can connect with others, this is going to be a great merit on your behalf. The Torah tells you the secret to our success, namely the word Kulchem. The rabbis tell us that the bris, the covenant that is being entered into at the beginning of Parshas Nitzavim is the bris of arvus, the bris of literally responsibility as the Talmud teaches in the Gemara Shavuos, namely, Kol Yisrael Arevim Ze Lozeh, that all Israel is, quote, responsible one for another. How and what does this mean? On a halachic level, it means as follows, that in order for a person to satisfy their obligation in a mitzvah, either they do it themselves, or they can fulfill their obligation through somebody who is a bar chiyuva, somebody who is themselves obligated in the mitzvah. So if I have a child who knows how to blow the shofar exceedingly well, and I hear the shofar being blown by them on Rosh Hashanah, I would not satisfy my mitzvah because the child is not a bar chiyuva. He is not obligated yet in the mitzvah. And so, interestingly, what is the halacha? That, let's say, the Baal Tokea, the one that's going to please God, blow the shofar this coming Thursday and Friday. On their way home from shul, they will pass a home where somebody could not come to the Beis HaKnesset. Somebody did not hear shofar. They're going to stop off and blow shofar for them. And they will fulfill their obligation, namely the one who didn't come, they'll blow for them. Now my goodness, how does that work? When the Baal Tokea blew in the synagogue, he had not yet heard shofar. He is blowing for himself, and he's blowing for the entire congregation. But now that he has already fulfilled his obligation in the synagogue, how could he blow for somebody else? Perhaps we could say he's not a bar chiyuva anymore, because he already discharged his obligation. So the Talmud teaches us, no. The Talmud teaches us the very important principle of Yotzah, even though he himself has satisfied his obligation, Motsi, he can still do this on behalf of others. Why? Because as long as there is another Jew who has not fulfilled this mitzvah, then your mitzvah that you have fulfilled already is incomplete. This is one very exciting idea of Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh. I'd like to share with you, however, an additional explanation, somewhat metaphysical, but very exciting, and that is of the Ramak, which is Rav Moshe Kodavero, in his Tomer Devorah. The Tomer Devorah is based on the last three verses of the book of Micha, the last three verses of chapter 7. We're familiar with it, please God, we're going to be reciting it, beginning, namely for Tashlich, this coming Thursday. And therefore, Mikhail Kamolcha, literally, who is like you, God? 
who, which is the first of the 13 attributes as described by the prophet Micha, Noseyavon, who pardons iniquity, Over al Pesha, overlooks transgressions, and the fourth one is Lishayris Nachalaso, for the remnant of his heritage, and says the Ramak very powerfully that God calls the Jewish people She'eris literally Nachalaso and She'eris comes from the term Ki'im L'She'ero HaKorov love. She'er means the closest intimate relationship of two individuals and that is what is the relationship between God and the Jewish people, literally, Krovai, my relatives, as we find in Shir Hashirim, that God refers to us as Biti, my daughter, Achosi, my sister, Imi, my mother, meaning this incredible closeness. And just as there is this closeness between God and the Jewish people, so too continues the Tomer Devorah, Kol Yisrael, all Israel, Him She'er Basar, Eluim Elu, we are all intimately connected one with another. What does that mean? Our souls are literally bound as one, which means there's a part of each and every Jew in each of every one of us. A very, very deep, powerful concept. But we are so inextricably bound one with the other that continues the Tomer Dvora that when God forbid a Jew sins it's not just against him or herself that they are sinning but literally against each and every other Jew and that's why as the Gemara says in Shavuos 39a this is a deeper understanding of Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh all Israel are responsible one for another. What a powerful way for us to literally close the year and look forward, please God, to the forthcoming Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah by understanding how strong we are when we are united as a people and how truly responsible we are on so many levels, halachically and philosophically connected to each other. Shabbat Shalom and Eksiva Vachasima Tova to all.
12 minutes before 9 o'clock. Naomi Nachman on at 9, uh, jmnam.org. Make sure to be tuned in. The great Aussie Gourmet has another spectacular show today. She's always got a spectacular show, and today's no exception. Between 9 and 10 this morning, uh, Naomi will uh, be joined by Naomi Ross from Jewish Cooking Concepts and Jay Booksbaum, all right, from Royal Wines. They'll discuss the Simonim for Wednesday night at the Rosh Hashanah meal and recipes for each one. And Jay will talk about new wines from Israel and wines to accompany our Yom Tov meal. So that's all happening uh, this uh, this morning, 9 until 10. Then, of course, followed by our amazing and incredible Erev Shabbos music mix. Thank you, Kedem. And uh, that's happening this coming, uh, well, today, 10 o'clock until, until 10 o'clock until candle lighting time. The best way to prepare for Shabbos. I cannot think of a better way than to make sure our stream is on all through the day at jmandam.org. I want to thank those who've been commenting on the NSN app. The NSN app on its home screen gives you an opportunity to um, a comment on what's going on in the air, and I thank you. Didn't get to every comment uh, during the uh, weekly updates. I apologize for that, but tried to get to as many as I could uh, during the uh, during that time slot. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night. Matis hosts JM Sunday, Sunday morning from 7 until 9 Eastern time on our stream at jmandam.org. Bob Lichtman the great show for Blowout. It happens Sunday on Sunday morning. He'll discuss the whole thing with Matis, a follow-up to their conversation from last week. So make sure to be tuned in 7 until 9 for JM Sunday every Sunday morning. The final JM Sunday of the year is this coming Sunday. Short week for us next week. Wednesday night is Yuntif, so Thursday and Friday. There'll be other programming here, not of the JM and the AM variety, followed by a full week for us the week before Yom Kippur here at JM in the AM. Regesh is next at JM in the AM.
Lighting at 6.39 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.39 candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos, everybody. Uh, Viazor, of course, from Regesh. Slichas night is tomorrow night. We told you about Parky Synagogue. That's tomorrow night with Rabbi Schneier at 9. Kenter uh, Yitzhak Mayor Health got at 10.30. Uh, West Institutional, I assume, has the Kalbach Shul Slichas tomorrow night. That should be interesting. It's always an amazing event. And uh, Young Israel of Manhattan presents our Pesach Krohn on the Lower East Side. Tomorrow night he starts speaking at about 11.20 tomorrow evening. The Young Israel of Manhattan. Time to say good Shabbos. It's Journeys at JM in the AM.
home, it's time to say good Shabbos, cause all your work is done, I'm gonna spend the day together with the Holy One, say special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine, man and his creator, it's a very your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Want to wish a mazel tov to the Puritinsky and uh, Wallerstein family. Shragi and Malki Puritinsky married this past Wednesday night in Brooklyn. Mazel tov Schneer and Dina Puritinsky and to... Um, uh, Pesach and Rivka Wallerstein, that comes, uh, Pinchas rather, and Rivka Wallerstein, that comes from the Neshe of East 13th Street. Don't forget Yitzi Bald, Yitzi Bald in our studio Monday with the brand new NYBC sequel debut. Yitzi Bald Monday, NYBC brand new music. Also don't forget that Naomi Nachman is next on our stream at jmnam.org and ZK reminds me that the video of that show is up right now on our homepage 
at NahumSiegel.com is the first thing you'll see if you go to my website. Uh, make sure to be tuned in tomorrow night for Avrami and Sunday morning with Matis on jmnam.org. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend till Monday. Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.